here we are. We're returning to our message series, Hope in Suffering. And we've been studying through the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse. And the last time that we came together for this series, Pastor Bruce gave us a very important principle. He said, when there is no submission, there is no success. Now, this applies to every area of our lives. In fact, Peter addresses submission in the book of 1 Peter all throughout. He says here in chapter 2 that we're talking about submission to the government. And that's what Pastor Bruce covered two weeks ago. He talks also about in chapter 2 the submission of employees to their employer. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then the submission of wives to husbands. Wives, I know you're looking forward to that one. (laughs) Then there's submission of husbands to wives. That's all in chapter 3. There's submission of one to another. And lastly, in chapter 5, there's the submission of younger folks to older folks. So the subject of submission really does impact every area of our lives. Now, I know submitting is difficult, right? It is. Believe me. We all have a tendency to want to do things our own way, to be free, to do whatever we want, when we want, and how we want. That's just how our selfish sin nature works. And we're constantly having to battle this. So this word submit, it's just not a very fun word, is it? In fact, let me be brutally honest with you for a moment. When Pastor Bruce first approached me about us going through the book of uh, 1 Peter together, preaching through that together. I remember that I quickly read through the book and I got to chapter 2 and I said to myself, oh no, please don't let me have to speak on these verses. And guess what? I'm speaking on these verses this morning. (laughs) I remember thinking, what in the world can I even say about this? Submitting? I just don't want to do that. But you fast forward to today, now, I realized that I could do a whole series of messages on this text because it's so incredibly rich. I mean, it is packed full of truth. And it's amazing when you truly dive into God's word and you study it wholeheartedly, what the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. Because his word is alive. It is living. It's active. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. His word is just plain awesome. Now, I'm excited to jump into today's text. I really am. I can't wait to get in there. Because submission is at the very heart of our Christian faith. Pastor Bruce is absolutely right. No submission, no success. Remember that principle. Now, we've been reviewing Romans 15, 13 in every message in this series because it's our theme verse. It's our anchor. And it really does bring hope in suffering. The Apostle Paul says here, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is our source of hope. There is no substitute for him. Don't you want to be filled with his joy and his peace? Don't you want to overflow with hope? Then you got to trust in him. There is nothing else in this world that can even compare. There's nothing else in this world that can satisfy because God is our source of hope. Will you trust in him today? Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. Fill us with your spirit that we may hear directly from you today. 
I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here today that doesn't know you, that they don't leave here until they make that decision to follow you today. Because we know, Lord, that our lives are but a vapor in comparison to what eternity is. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to our main text for today. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll be showing it up on the screen, so no problem there. As I said, this text is packed full of some amazing truths, and we're going to unpack them one at a time. Now, along our journey in his word together today, I'm going to give you three actions that we as Christians must take. These are not optional. I'm not going to give you three nice little feel-good things that you can take home, pin up on your refrigerator, and then you can do them if you feel like it. If you consider yourself a true Christ follower, then you must take these three actions. There's no way around them. So let's get into the verses here today. We'll start in verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Peter says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, before you tune out, like I wanted to do when I first read this, we first need to understand the culture that Peter is speaking into here. Slavery during the Roman Empire era was extremely common. It's been estimated that there were 60 million slaves during this time, and that would equate to over half the Roman Empire. Slavery in that day had very little to do with race, contrary to what many of us think here in America when we hear that word. Slavery in this era was more about economics and social class. Slaves in the Roman Empire had all kinds of positions. Some were teachers, some were doctors, some were artists, some were musicians, and just about anything else that you could imagine. It's very important to note here that God's commands of submission, they are not an endorsement of slavery as an institution. It's simply that slavery in the Roman Empire era was the reality of the day. In fact, many of the Jewish Christians whom Peter was writing this epistle to were slaves themselves. So the best way to apply this passage in the world that we live in today is to think of submission as an employee to an employer. Now, it's easy to submit to a boss who we like, someone who is good and gentle, right? Just like the text says. But what do we do when we have a jerk for a boss? Huh? Come on, you know you can identify with that. How many of you have had to work with a boss that you didn't like, or perhaps you're working for someone like that right now? Yeah, a lot of you have. Some hams couldn't reach any higher, I see. (laughs) Well, you see, Peter doesn't leave it at submitting to just good bosses. He says here that we are to submit to bosses who are unreasonable. Now, the Greek word for unreasonable is skalios. It means crooked, bent, or warped. This is where we get the English word scoliosis from. You guys know scoliosis. It's a disease that results in a crooked spine. So you can think of an unreasonable boss as someone who is morally crooked. Peter is saying that we are to submit to bosses like that. Now that's not, that doesn't sound very fun, does it? 
submitting to someone who is morally crooked? Why would the Holy Spirit want us to do that? Well, we're going to answer that in just a minute, so I need you to hang with me. But first, good or their bad bosses, we're just to submit. And now, Paul tells us here that we are to submit in everything. And we are to try to please them all the time. See the completeness there? If you're like me, you're immediately starting to think about whether there are exceptions to this. Because you're like, how in the world could I submit to an unreasonable, morally crooked jerk of a boss in everything I do all the time? Well, Paul starts to get into the why and the how at the very end of verse 22. It's because we are to serve them because of our fear of the Lord. Nothing says we fear the Lord more than our obedience. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. It's to hate evil. I like to think of it as reverence that results in obedience. The fear of the Lord is a continual awareness that you're in the presence of the holy, just, and almighty God. And he will hold you accountable for your thoughts, for your words, and for your actions. We can't say we fear the Lord, right, if we're not obeying him, because that would be a complete contradiction. So we must submit to our earthly masters in everything, all the time, even masters that we don't like because of our fear of the Lord. This isn't easy. I know. I need you to hang with me, though. Hang with me this morning. And now in the next verse, Paul tells us how to do this. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So there it is. We as Christians must work as though we were working for the Lord rather than people. This has got to be the mindset that we have. We are ultimately working for the Lord. And this brings me to the title of today's message. Who's your master? Who's your master? So the next time that you feel yourself starting to bow up and you're thinking, you're not the boss of me, remember this. Who's your master? It should be the Lord Jesus, right? Isn't that what Paul just told us? We are to work willingly as though we were working for the Lord rather than for people? Now, some of you may have answered that question, who's your master, really quickly. You might have said, of course, it's the Lord, right? Congratulations on your holiness. For the rest of us, this is a struggle. Let's just be honest. Our nature doesn't want to submit. Our nature doesn't want to have a master. Our nature screams, we're independent. No one is the boss of me. We are our own masters, we often think. Others of us are so consumed by the world that we live in that if we were to boil it all down, our real master is our money. Our real master is our stuff. Our real master is our TV. Our real master is social media or whatever other form of entertainment we indulge in. You name it. But ultimately, there can only be one master. So I say it again, who's your master? We as Christians submit to our earthly masters because we fear the Lord. Let me give you another reason. Paul says this in Titus chapter 2. He says, slaves must submit always, or excuse me, slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal. 
but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. And now we get to the heart of the matter. Our jobs are our mission field. It's our responsibility to shine the light of Jesus everywhere we go, especially in our workplace. It's why we have the sign hanging just outside the church, right outside those front doors, that says you're now entering your mission field. What kind of witness are you for the Lord in your workplace if you're not submitting? If you're indulging in all the same kind of behaviors that unsaved people do, like talking behind your boss's back, wasting time at work, doing unproductive and personal things while on your work's time, or you're complaining, or you're being overly critical or negative, we may very well be the only Christian that our boss or our coworkers see. That may be the very reason that God placed you in the job that you're in, because it's your mission field. I've often struggled with guilt over being in the corporate world and not being in ministry full-time. It's a constant battle that weighs on me heavily. But I love my job, and I love the ministry. The fact is, you can do both. They are not mutually exclusive. A lot of people have a tendency to compartmentalize their lives, and we behave one way in one situation, and we behave totally different in other situations. Now, another way of saying this is we're just fake or we're hypocrites. The Pharisees were notorious for this kind of behavior. And sadly, many Christians are still like that today. If you're a child of God, then you are a child of God all the time. That means we must live for Jesus all the time, no matter where you are. That means even when you're working for an unreasonable and morally crooked boss. Because we fear the Lord. Because we are ultimately working for the Lord rather than for people. Here's the truth to remember. When we submit to human authority, it demonstrates our submission to God's authority. Let me say that again. When we submit to human authority, it demonstrates our submission to God's authority. Don't be a fake. Did you know that in Peter's day, slaves who were Christians were sold for twice as much as regular slaves? Why do you think that is? It's because they worked hard. They were trustworthy and respectful, and they had the right attitude. As Christians, we should be the hardest working, most ethical, and most honest of any employees. One of the things that's destroying our society today is that people just don't want to work. They'd rather live off the government. As Christians, we are commanded to work. In fact, God instituted work before the fall of man. It says in Genesis 2.15 that God placed man in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, the Apostle Paul says, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, I want to be clear. There is a distinction between being unwilling to work and being unable to work. There's a big difference between the two of those. Unfortunately, far too many in our society today are simply unwilling to work. Being unable to work is an entirely different thing altogether. 
Albert Moeller recently addressed this epidemic of America's work ethic disappearing. He did this in his daily uh, briefing podcast. And he quoted Daniel Hennington of the Wall Street Journal who said this, It's impossible not to be struck by how many former and prospective employees say that after a year of forced unemployment, they simply will not work. A large part of this unwillingness to work, Albert Moeller says, is because the government has been incentivizing this by forcing employers to compete for Uncle Sam's money. It's frustrating to me to see how much money the government is just handing out. And for those of us who pay taxes, that's our money. And in some cases, these handouts were more than the people were making in their jobs. You know what? This shouldn't even matter. God made us for work. Albert Moeller also said in his podcast, when he quoted Daniel Hennington, he said this, the authorities built COVID into a 12-month monster. So people naturally sought respite and distractions from the monster. I believe the pandemic, he says, accelerated a transition evident for years away from the basic concept of daily work and toward an emerging idea that life is less about work and more about play. Life is a nonstop game. Well, here's what I say. Here's the real pandemic. A society that is unwilling to work and a government who incentivizes it through socialist policies which have never worked throughout all of history. There's your pandemic. We are made in the image of God. And he clearly set a standard for us. Six days for work, one day for rest. It's not six days of play, right, and one day of work, contrary to what many people act like today. So here's some questions to ponder. As an employee, are you working hard as you would for the Lord? Are you trustworthy and respectful? Do you have the right attitude? Are you genuine all the time? Who's your master? So I just talked to you about the first action that we must take in life, and that is submit to your masters. Submit to your masters. Now, before I move on in our text, let me come back and answer that burning question that may be in the back of your mind about submitting. Are there exceptions? You thought I forgot, didn't you? I didn't forget. Of course there's exceptions. But my purpose today is to not sit here and talk about exceptions, right? We don't live in exception land. Let me keep this really simple. If submitting to a boss would ever conflict with your obedience to the Lord, then you cannot submit because you have a higher authority to answer to than you do for any earthly master. That's the deal right there. Acts chapter 5 is a great example for us. Peter and the apostles responded to the authorities of their day when they were told not to preach the gospel. Here's what they said. We must obey God rather than people. When you truly fear the Lord, you never fear man. We always submit to God first because our allegiance to him trumps anything and anyone here on this earth. Now let's get back to our text. We just talked about servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Unreasonable meaning morally crooked. So if we move on in our text, Peter says this. He says, For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, 
For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You want to find favor from God? Then suffer for doing good. This is the second action that we must take as Christians. Suffer for doing good. I don't know anyone who likes to suffer, especially for doing good. There are all kinds of reasons why we suffer in this life. Some suffering is a direct result of sin. Some suffering is because you made a stupid decision. Some suffering is simply a result of living in a fallen world. But Peter here is specifically addressing suffering for doing good. Now I want you to notice something in verse 20. It says, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? So if you sin and suffer for it, well, that's your own fault. That's just a consequence of sin. That's what that's saying. You don't get any extra credit as if you should deserve it or something like that because of what you did for your sin. You don't get any credit for that. No, Peter is saying that when you're suffering for unjustly or when you're suffering for doing good, that this results in favor with God. Now, another word for favor is grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. It's undeserved. It's a free gift. Also, how you respond to suffering unjustly or for when you're doing good can be a powerful testimony to a culture that really has no idea what the grace of God is all about. It's an opportunity for you to show them. It's an opportunity for you to point them to the Savior. In other words, you're pleasing God when you patiently endure suffering for doing good. Is this easy? No, of course not. But who said following Jesus would ever be easy? I don't know why so many have thought that living the Christian life should just be easy. (laughs) That once you give your life to Jesus, that everything should just work out. Like you could just coast your way into heaven on autopilot or something. That's not at all what following Jesus is like. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. And part of the will of God for you and I is to patiently endure suffering for doing good. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You get that? We're not all, none of us are exempt from that. We're going to suffer persecution. James says in James 1.2 that when troubles come your way, it's not a question of if troubles come. It's just a matter of time when troubles come. Are you prepared to suffer for following Jesus? Especially for suffering for doing good? I hope you can come to a place where you can say yes to that question. Because that's exactly the purpose for which you were called to the Christian faith. Suffering for doing good. This is exactly what Peter tells us here in the very next verse of our text. He says here in verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, 
nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. For you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? We've been called for the very purpose of suffering for doing good. And listen, God didn't just call us to do something that he hadn't already done himself. Jesus gave us the perfect example to follow. He suffered a horrible, humiliating, and painful death on the cross. He did nothing wrong. He had no sin. He lived a perfect life. Jesus suffered greatly for doing good. And that's the expectation that he has for you and I. You were called to this. So the next time you suffer for doing good, just remember it brings favor from God. When the Apostle Paul prayed three times to have this thorn removed from his flesh, God responded to him by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. If it was sufficient for Paul, then it's sufficient for you too. Suffering for doing good is the very purpose for your call to follow Jesus. And this brings me to the third action that we must take as Christ followers. Seek to follow him. Seek to follow him. Now, this is really cool. So if you haven't been leaning in, now's the point to lean in, okay? First Peter chapter 2, look at this verse 21 here. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That word example literally means a writing under. Okay, now let me illustrate that. It means a writing under. It's like when a teacher would write the letters of the alphabet on a paper creating a pattern. And then she'd give that to her students and then her students would take and trace on another piece of paper because hers was a writing under and they would trace those letters so that they could learn the alphabet, right? We are called to copy Jesus's character tracing over the pattern that he left for us by his example. We are to seek to follow him. To truly follow him means that we make him our master. Everything we think, everything we do should be filtered through his word so that we glorify him in everything. Now, I want you to notice from our text, while he was suffering, he didn't whine, he didn't complain, he did not retaliate, he did not sin, nor did he defend himself. How could Jesus have possibly suffered like this without doing anything? Man, my flesh would be ready to do battle, right? Man, I'd be ready to bow up at somebody. That's just me, man. That's how I'd react. I don't know about you. How could he do that? Well, here's how he did it. Look at verse 23. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And that's the key for you and I. We cannot follow in the footsteps of Jesus and our own strength. We cannot submit, we cannot suffer, and we cannot seek him, right, on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Our own willpower, our own strength just can't get it done. Peter experienced this firsthand. And Jesus even warned him ahead of time. Jesus said to all of his disciples the night that he was going to be arrested, he said, tonight... Each of you will desert me. Peter boldly spoke up and said, even if everyone deserts you, you, I never will. 
And Jesus responded, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You'll deny you even knew me. Peter shot back. He shot right back again. He said, even if I have to die with you, I never will. And then all the disciples vowed to do the same thing. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus gets arrested. Boom. The disciples scatter. They scatter. And, Je- and then Peter denies Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would. The fact is, no one can follow God by their own strength or by their own willpower. That's why we see here in our text that Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's how we can best seek to follow him right there. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Life is a series of ups and downs. Sometimes you're on the peak of a mountain and sometimes you're in the valley. The only constant thing that we have is represented by that purple line there, right? And that's Jesus because he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And that's the pattern for you and I. No matter what our life does, up, down, whatever, constant. Keep entrusting yourself to the Father. That word entrust means to commit, to give over to, to go all in, to rely upon strength, to submit wholeheartedly. Jesus did this perfectly. The burning question in my mind is why? Why did he do this? Peter tells us why in the next verse. He says, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus willingly went to the cross, doing the work that his father had assigned for him to do. He did this out of obedience to his father, and he did it for his great love for you and for me. He did this so that we might die to sin and live righteously. That's why he did it. The wounds that he bore on our behalf is what provides healing from our sin problem. And this healing is referred to a spiritual healing. It's a healing from the deadly disease of sin. Jesus came so that he could save us from our sin. Now, Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one is exempt. Each, Each and every one of us, you, me, everyone, And then Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's where sin ultimately leads. But you know, the rest of this verse doesn't leave it on the negative, does it? There's a big old but in there in that verse. Do you know the Bible has a lot of big old buts? I'm just saying there are a bunch of them. This one says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? Somebody ought to be getting excited up in here. There's only one way to resolve our sin problem, and that's by believing and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And once you've done that, your job is then to seek to follow him by entrusting yourself completely to the one who judges righteously. And if you're going to follow Jesus, there are three actions that you're going to have to take. These are not optional. You're going to have to submit to your masters. You're going to have to suffer for doing good. And you're going to need to seek to follow him. Submit, suffer, and seek. So let me ask you, who's your master? 
Who's your master? Let's pray. Father, you are a mighty God. And there are times in our lives where we realize that we fall short. And we cannot live this life on our own. We need your Holy Spirit in our lives. My prayer today is there's anyone here in this room that has not committed their life to Jesus. Holy Spirit, you would tug on their heart and make them make that decision today. So if that's you and you're sitting in your seat, you're feeling your heart kind of beat fast, you're feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit on you, today is the day that God wants you to say yes to him. Because our lives on this earth are just a blip in comparison to all of eternity. So if that's you and you're struggling right now with what to do, you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, your master, today would be that day. And if that's you, I just ask, slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone want to make that decision to follow Jesus today? You want to say yes today. Others of you may be here and you're like, you know, this message really spoke to me. I haven't been submitting the way that I need to in my job. I realize that I haven't been the best example to those uh, around me. And I know that I've got to get my act together because the word clearly tells me that as a Christ follower, I am to submit. And that when doing that, there are times in which I'm going to have to suffer for doing good. And the example that I set is what people see. And that's an opportunity for me to be a witness. And I want to do that today. And I want to commit my life to seek to follow you. If that's you, and you know you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you know you're falling short, and you want to say today, help me, Lord. I need you. Slip up your hand, and I'll pray for you. Great. There's all kinds of hands going up for that. Thank you. Father, I pray for those who have boldly slipped up their hand and said, yes, Father, I need help. I need you. I realize I cannot do this on my own. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit, that you'd anoint them and give them the courage to walk in power and by faith, trusting in you to take care of them all the days of their lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be with every person in this room. Remind us of who you are. And when we walk out these doors and we see that sign that says you are now entering your mission field, Help us, Father, to walk that out, to be real and to be genuine, not be hypocrites like so many accused Christians of being. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things in your mighty name. Amen. If you need prayer today,